I grew up in middle Georgia. Well, that's what we call it. Some people I know here uh, call it South Georgia. Uh, but in middle Georgia, we don't get a lot of snow. Uh, we don't have a lot of snow days. Uh, one of my first experiences that I remember with snow uh, was in the infamous blizzard of 1993. Uh, I don't know uh, if maybe you grew up in a place with a lot of snow or maybe you grew up in a place like me uh, where not a lot of snow, but maybe you remember your first experience, your first time uh, seeing snow. Uh, if you do, why don't you share that in the comments uh, uh, below and let us know, hey, this is my first snow experience. I, I do remember my first time going snow skiing. Uh, I went with my cousin's a youth group on a snow skiing trip, and we went to a place in North Carolina. Uh, it was one of the hottest winters, I think, of all time, and so there was no snow. They did fake snow. I don't know if you've ever been skiing in North Carolina um, with fake snow, but it's really actually not a very pleasant experience. I didn't know much about skiing. I remember I was wearing jeans, like a proper redneck, uh, and trying to ski on what amounted to really just ice. It's like they're blowing snow out of those machines, it's so hot that by the time it hits the ground, it is just a sheet of ice. It was a miserable experience. Uh, but uh, several years after that, I went skiing uh, in Breckenridge, Colorado, and it was real powder snow, and it was a completely different experience. Instead of being cold and disheartened uh, because snow skiing was going so poorly on the fake snow, in Colorado, on real snow, with a little bit of real instruction, I had a great time skiing on real snow. It's amazing the difference between the real thing and a fake or a fraud. In uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Paul gives this instruction to the church in Rome. He says, let love be genuine, genuine, sincere, or real not a fake or a fraud. Uh, the opposite of genuine would be um, something that was insincere or play acting. And he says, here's what you should do. You should let your love not be fake, not be phony, not be hypocritical, not be like an actor on a stage, but let your love be genuine. Now, <clears throat> you know at Mercy Hill, it's really important for us that we teach the Bible in context. So let's back up a little bit in Romans chapter 12, just to set the context. The first two verses, Paul gives this instruction to the church in Rome to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Really what he simply means is, don't let the pattern of your life simply be repeating what you've seen everybody else do. Don't be pressed into a mold conformed or shaped simply by what you've seen around you in the world, but, he says, instead be transformed or reconfigured or reshaped by the renewal of your mind. And this idea that he's capturing is that we should be formed, transformed, reformed into a pattern that looks increasingly more like Jesus. So then, in verses 3 through 8, he gives the context for this transformation. He says, Listen, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Be transformed. Here's how it works in verse 3. And he talks about this gift of God to us as followers of Jesus called the church. He says, you should belong to a local church where people love each other, care for each other, belong to this community of faith where everybody is using their gifts given by God for the benefit of each other and the very mission of God, the local church. 
And then in that context, verse 9, he says, let your love be genuine. There's genuine love in the context of a community of believers. Our love should be a genuine mark of our church, Mercy Hill Church. We should not be a church of fake snow where it looks like the real thing, but when you actually get involved, put your skis on, it is quickly apparent that it is phony or fake. Our church instead should be marked by genuine love. It's the real deal. When people walk in the door, they should experience that sort of genuine love. A genuine love then lacks some things. A genuine love lacks defensiveness. A genuine love lacks self-justification. A genuine love lacks deceit. A genuine love lacks manipulation or aggression. A genuine love, this word love is agape, this love that God has, this unconditional love, really I think could be defined by when I want what is best for the other person. That's the kind of love we're talking about here, where my intentions toward the other person are good, so good that I want what's best for them, even if it costs me. A real, genuine, sincere love, and not the opposite. A fake love or an insincere love would be marked then by defensiveness, be marked by self-justification. It would be marked by deceit or manipulation. What's on the surface isn't what is below the surface. It might be marked by some sort of aggression. And so Paul to the church in Rome is saying, no, no, let's let our love be genuine, real, sincere, the real thing. And so the more someone is involved in your church, the more experience they have with your church, the more love they see. It's not just on the surface. It is below the surface too. It's a real deal. Now, I think for us today, that has two implications. The first one is about our church culture. My prayer, I hope your prayer, is that our church, Mercy Hill Church, would be marked by genuine love for each other. We wouldn't be a church that's playing at this. This wouldn't be uh, like a show that's on stage, but behind the scenes uh, is not loving at all. But that we would have a church and a church culture that is genuinely loving. We're not trying to defend ourselves. We're not trying to justify ourselves. We're not trying to manipulate each other. We are welcoming in each other and outsiders with a genuine love, longing for what's best for the other person. The second implication is a cultural one, uh, something that's relevant to our day and time. In fact, today, right now, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Now, Sanctity of Life Sunday is just a Sunday that's marked on the church calendar, has been for a couple of decades for most churches in our country, uh, where we remember or reflect on or think about the fact that all people, whether they're in the womb or out of the womb, are created in God's image. And because of that, all people, even in the womb, have intrinsic worth and value, deserve to be treated with respect, and deserve protection under the law for their basic human rights. Now, I know that this is a political hot topic, especially right now. I know there's probably some disagreement in our church, and if you're tuning in online, you might not agree uh, with a pro-life political stance. And I want you to know that's okay. 
Because at Mercy Hill, we think sanctity of life is more about people than it is about politics. Now, politics definitely are important and come to play, but this is a much bigger picture than just what happens in the political arena. And I think as churches, we're about to be tested. It's about to become very apparent whether we are playing politics or if our love is genuine, if it's for real. If we see changes in the political arena, if we see increasingly more restriction around abortion, that just means we haven't, that doesn't mean we've won anything. That means more is going to be required of us. Let, let me explain. Because if we have a people first view, it means that there will be more single moms who need to be cared for. It means there will be more families who are economically disadvantaged that are going to need help. It means there are going to be more babies who are born who need homes. It is quite simply going to require more of us, not less. And so if we want our love to be genuine, not fake, not insincere, then we need to show in these moments that we care about people, not just politics. And it's going to require more money from us, more generosity from us, more time invested from us, more involvement from us in every possible arena around image bearers. We're going to simply have to be more involved. Or the current cultural critique of us might prove to be true. We just care about the politics. We don't actually care about the people. And my prayer is that this would be a moment where the church rises up and we show, no, our love is genuine. We want to take care of single moms. We want to love and invest in moms and dad who need some parenting help. We want to take care of people who are economically disadvantaged. We want to care for children without homes to the point that we're going to give our money and give them spots in our homes. That's who we need to be. That is our love being genuine. So make no mistake, there's a little movement. Some of us are very excited about what's happened politically. That's not, that's not a win. Uh, that is just simply going to require more from us. We're going to have to prove that our love is genuine. Now, this is overwhelming. I mean, we're talking about these two big things, being a church that loves people well, that the more they experience our church, the more they feel loved. There's a lot there. And then we're talking about culturally being engaged in a way that our neighbors know that we think they are image bearers, that we cherish them. Even if they've made mistakes, even if they've done something wrong, even if they don't have the sort of resources we have, whatever it might be, that we want to rise to the occasion with a genuine, sincere love. That can be overwhelming. How do we do that? I think the how is going to get played out in a lot of different ways, but it always starts with the who. And the who is Jesus. Our motivation for loving each other in the church and our motivation for loving our neighbors as ourselves comes from the fact that we have been graciously and unconditionally loved by Jesus himself. It's what John, one of Jesus' disciples, points out in his letter, 1 John. He says, this is love, not that you loved God, not that you had any sort of affection towards God, but that God first loved you. And he did it by sending his son to be an atoning sacrifice, a substitute for you and for me. Our love is 
always a gospel-motivated and a gospel-shaped love. And our fuel for loving people in our church and loving people in our culture outside of our church is always the gospel, that we have been loved radically and unbelievably by Jesus. So my prayer for you today, my prayer for myself today, my prayer for our church is that we would be a church of genuine affection and love, the real deal, not a fake, and that people inside of our church and people in our community would feel that authentic, sincere love in very tangible ways. And all of that would be motivated by, driven by the fact that we have been loved by Jesus himself. 